Coming Up is a podcast brought to you by the dedicated and diverse volunteers at 3CR. Just a quick message before you get there. For the month of June, we're asking listeners to donate to the station to help us keep going. In 2023, we're asking our community to stay tuned, stay radical. We rely on the generous donations of community to survive. Go to 3cr.org.au slash donate and show your support for community-owned and community-run media. Thanks for your support and happy listening. Throughout the month of June, we'll be asking you, the listener, to support radical community-owned media during our Radiothon. We'll be taking donations online, over the phone and in the station to help keep 3CR going for another year. Fierce, independent community media is vital and we need your support to keep radical voices and issues on the airwaves. The 3CR Radiothon kicks off in June. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. Call the station on 03 or drop in at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during business hours. 3CR, stay tuned, stay radical. destruction sorcerer of death's construction in the fields of bodies burning as the war machine keeps turning death and hatred to mankind poisoning Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is produced by Kelly Whitworth. If you've got any problems, you speak to her about it. Don't annoy me, okay? I'm not being serious, okay? I'm practising for my comedy career, which will come to a screaming end most likely on the 31st of May, but we'll talk about that later on. If you wonder what anarchism is all about, Anarchos without rulers. It's about creating a society without rulers. What gives rulers the ability to determine the lives of billions of people? Inequalities in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to share power, that's devolved power, and the struggle to hold wealth in common and use it for the common good. Very, very, very conservative concepts. Conserve the human race. Conserve individuals. Conserve the planet, conserve human interaction, ensure that essential, you know, services, essential needs become a right. The list goes on and on. Exceptionally conservative. Maybe the mechanisms by which we get to that point are a bit radical, but the concept of anarchism isn't, as a lot of people think, chaos, murder, pillage, rape, you've got to do is look at nation states around the place and you can see how good they are at that so if you're involved in the struggle to share power and 
Hold wolf in common. I've got the bad news for you. You've got a big A in a circle tattooed on your bum. Right, let's move on. Let's now. What do India and Australia have in common? Well, India is a Bengal tiger and we have kangaroos. That's not very much in common, isn't it? But we have a lot more in common than you think. Now, obviously, the Prime Minister, the Hindu nationalist, Mr Modi, is in Australia receiving rock star treatment from many of those Indians that support him in uh, India. They've got the disposable income to turn up here. But that's a different story. But what do we have in common? Well, guess what? The Indian National Day is the 26th of January, the day of as their Independence Day. And our National Day is Invasion Day, the 26th of January. Boom, boom. We have that in common. But we have something else in common. And that is constitutions that do not protect the individual or minorities from the state power. We have no constitutional protections. That's why Mr Modi can basically do what he likes as well as, lo as long as he panders to the majority. He can ignore minorities totally. And to a significant degree, we are in the same position. We have a constitution that does not protect the individual minorities from the arbitrary exercise of state power. And if you don't believe me, have a look at our constitution. Bedtime reading, forget about gaming, you know, liking things on the net, getting click activists arthritis of your forefinger, forget about all that garbage. Look at the constitution. Farmies of individual rights. Well, we have the individual right to choose our religion. And if we are freehold property owners, we do have a right to fair compensation if the state takes our land. Unless you're an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, that's a different matter, isn't it? But, so we have a lot in common. Because... See, democracy, <coughs> rule of the people, by the people, for the people, is not representative of democracy where a majority is able to impose its will on, an, on a minority. And that's what we see in India and to a lesser degree in Australia, where you've got a majority imposing their will on other citizens who may have a different religious belief, different cultural practices, speak a different language. And what we're seeing in India despite the rock star appearance of Mr Modi in Sydney, is a society which is becoming more and more authoritarian every day. Look at the struggle a year ago by Indian farmers who were concerned about opening up the Indian economy, globalising agriculture and the profound impact it would have over a quarter of the population, maybe even a third of the population. Look at the laws that have been passed which actually remove rights because there's no constitutional protection uh, for minority religions in the land of India, you know, like um, Muslims and Sikhs and, and a few others.
look at the changes to the education system where they're going to change the historical record to ensure the Hindu nationalists' version of history is the only version that will be taught in Indian schools. Look at the legislation before Parliament, which would make, you know, a, a, a southern US religious fundamentalist very happy to actually ban the teaching of evolution in high schools. And the list goes on and on. So that's what happens when you have a constitution which does not protect the individual from the arbitrary exercise of state power. And if you think you have rights under our own constitution, think again. Because the only rights you have are the rights which are enshrined in law by Parliament. There are no constitutional roadblocks if the majority of Australians believed that blue-eyed children, two-year-old blue-eyed children, I'm taking a biblical analogy here, two-year-old blue-eyed children are somehow the spawn of the devil and they should be incarcerated, You and there's a majority in both houses of Parliament and, and support in, in the community, you could pass that legislation. I mean, the High Court has found that under the Constitution, people can be detained indefinitely, without charge. Because no, the High Court had to find a, you know, an implied right to free speech in the Constitution because you can't have a parliamentary election without free speech. And they said you've got an implied right during the parliamentary campaign, but not outside that parliamentary campaign. An implied right. A little bit like reading the Torah or the Koran or the Bible, you know. You interpret it any way you like, to, to, you know, to suit your particular picadillos. Yeah. So we have a lot in common with India, a lot in common. And obviously now there's the China issue. India has a three and a half thousand kilometre border with uh, China, which occasionally spills over into conflict. We saw that a few years ago. And we've seen it since, you know, the Chinese Communist Party took over India, in, not India, China, in '49. And we do have a an attitude, a private investment for private profit attitude, which is in common, but unlike Australia... Many Indians have not swallowed the furphy that globalisation and corporatisation is good for the country. And especially the agricultural sector, which was involved in huge protests, road blockages, strikes, when the Modi government attempted to introduce legislation to open up the Indian agricultural market to uh, overseas um, imports. So he may have received a rock star, you know, um, welcome, which I'm sure Mr Albanese would have loved. But the fact is, if Adolf Hitler came to Australia in the 1930s, he also would have received a rock star welcome. Because if you look at the uh, footage of Nazi Germany, 
you can see the uh, rock star welcome that he received over and over again. So I'm not equating Mr Modi with Mr Hitler, obviously they're two different kettles of fish, but what I'm saying is authoritarian leaders who exercise power, whether they're democratically elected or self-appointed, authoritarian leaders who are actually able to exercise unlimited power have a lot in common in terms of the effect they can have on the population they rule, whether it's Turkey, whether it's the US, whether it's India, whether it's China, whether it's North Korea, whether it's Australia. You can actually see what happens when you concentrate power and wealth in a shrinking number of hands. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, at the end of the week, on Saturday, begins Reconciliation Week. Reconciliation Week uh, starts on the 26th of May. Sorry, on the 27th of May. 26th of May is National Sorry Day. 27th of May is the beginning of Reconciliation Week. And the 3rd of June is Mabo Day. Now, Reconciliation Week was, re was created in an attempt to lance the abscess that exists in this country as far as First Nations people are concerned and the rest of us. Huge gulfs. Huge gulfs because of the effects of colonisation and the fact that it was until 1992, 31 years ago, the High Court of Australia, in a split decision four to three, the Mabo decision, found that Indigenous people or First Nations people who had continuous occupation of land had rights to land in law because of their prior occupation of this land. For the first time in, you know, over 200 years, what's that, uh, over 200 years, the legal fiction that this country was not inhabited, although it had been inhabited for over 60,000 years, was not inhabited, was blown out of the water by the High Court of Australia. Then you have the WIC decision regarding uh, sea rights. Now, a lot of people, if you were alive during that period, and I was, the, 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 the garbage that was spewed about native title and that High Court decision was extraordinary. Misinformation, disinformation, the fact that the world was going to come to an end, that you know Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders were going to claim people's backyard if they had freehold title to that backyard, possibly even rental property. The furore was extraordinary. And I remember one of the, I think the National Party leader at that stage said that there may have been the WIC decisions, maybe the Marbury and the WIC decision, but we're going to bury those decisions in a bucket load of extinguishment legislation. And to many degrees, the problems regarding native title, the difficulty in different um, First Nations groups obtaining native title around the country are specifically related, not to the Mabo decision, but to the fact that legislation has been passed to water down that decision and make it very difficult for people to claim ownership 
and compensation. But despite all these difficulties, different groups continue to succeed in the struggle for land rights. And let's not forget it was that much maligned Whitlam Labor government which actually introduced land rights in the Northern Territory in the early 70s. And that brings me to today's debate regarding a voice to Parliament. Now, I know a lot of people are concerned about the voice to Parliament. It ranges from people who think they're going to lose their sovereign rights to people who think that this is the end of the universe, giving our First Nations people recognition in the Constitution. Now, let's go through this. Now, before I start, I'd like to point out very clearly, 100%, that I support the voice to Parliament, not because it's a radical addition to the Constitution, not because it's going to make huge changes, because it's just an advisory group. It is just an advisory group, and whether it's hand-picked by the government of the day or elected by First Nations peoples, as Aztec was, before it was abolished by the Howard government, the fact is that it is an advisory body, but the fact that it's incorporated in the Constitution means it's the first time in history, Australian history, Australian colonial history, that Indigenous people's existence has been acknowledged in the Australian Constitution. Now, I know a lot of people talk about treaty before uh, a voice to Parliament, but I take my directions from the 2017 Uluru Statement from the Heart, which was a majority decision made by delegates from across the land into the Torres Strait and the islands around this country, First Nations delegates, and they had three very simple demands. One was a voice to Parliament, a constitutional voice to Parliament. And why a constitutional voice to Parliament? So it could not be abolished, like we saw with the change of governments, we saw any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander advisory bodies or bodies which were actually providing services, would be abolished overnight. It's a little bit like privatisation of public property. Public property does not belong to the Australian people, it belongs to the government of the day, because the ownership of private com uh, public companies like Telstra, Qantas, uh, CSIRO, not CSIRO, um, you know, the list goes on and on. Medibank Private, hundreds of... is not incorporated in the Australian Constitution. So the government of the day can sell it to fill for ideological reasons, which we've seen for decades now. I mean, so... So what interests me about the voice to Parliament is that it's a referendum. Treaties are negotiated by governments, and we're seeing in West Australia, South Australia and Victoria attempts to negotiate local treaties. And there obviously there are a lot of problems, but which I'm not going to dwell on today. But treaties are negotiated by governments, not by the Australian people. In a referendum... The Australian people, as a nation, have the ability to change the course of history. 
not in terms of the radical changes, but in terms of saying to future governments, we want the problems that exist between First Nations people and ourselves to be worked out. Whether you use the word reconciliation, whether they use the word treaty, whether they use the word native title, sovereign rights, is irrelevant. But like 1967, which wasn't about counting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders in the Constitution or actually giving Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders the vote, the 1967 referendum was about giving the Commonwealth Government the power to legislate for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. Before that, state governments refused to move. And it was that referendum where the Australian people, 90% of the Australian people, gave the OK for that to occur. It was that referendum which created the impetus, and I remember, because I'm old enough to remember that period, for the Whitlam-led Labor government to introduce land rights into the territories they control, the Northern Territory and the ACT. Introduce land rights legislation. Ensure the Gurindji, who had been on strike for over a decade, were eventually rewarded with a land rights claim. And one of the most significant photographs of the 20th century, as far as Australian history is concerned, is when Mr Whitlam, the Australian Prime Minister, pours soil into the hands of the leader, one of the leaders of the Gurindji struggle. Great photograph. We are seeing the thief returning the land to the original owners. That's what that symbolism is about. It's about returning the land. So as far as I'm concerned, it's not the content of the referendum question that's important. It's not the fact that we will have, if people, if people in four states in the majority of Australians vote to incorporate this change in the Australian Constitution, the fact that there is an advisory body which has constitutional protection, which cannot be dissolved, but the thing is, the government of the day can actually, you know, pass legislation that be elected, and then maybe another government pass legislation that's appointed, you know. That's not the issue. The issue is that since 1999, when we had the last referendum, because plebiscites are not referendums, the marriage equality plebiscite was not a referendum. It was not incorporated into the Australian Constitution. It was basically a poll, nothing more, nothing less. This is different. What this means is that the Australian people give future governments, give their future representatives the ability to continue the struggle towards reconciliation, towards compensation, towards an, you know, treaties or a treaty, and the list goes on and on. Because if this fails, and we're seeing 
the races come out of the woodwork. If this fails, if this referendum fails, it will put that struggle for reconciliation back decades, back to the 1960s. And that's what this struggle is about. It's not about, you know, some advisory constitutional body. It's about us, the people of this country, being given the ability to push governments. has happened in 67, which led, you know, and then we saw five years later the Whitlam Labor government pass land rights, historic land rights legislation. It gives us that ability to put pressure on future governments to ensure the three demands of the Uluru Statement are met. And those demands are a constitutional body to advise Parliament regarding First Nations issues, a truth-telling commission, and a journey towards entering the government of the day, entering treaties, or a treaty with this country's First Nations people. So, if you're thinking of voting no, there are huge consequences which you may not have thought of. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. You can access this program via podcast. Go to Anarchist World This Week. And just one last thing. Uh, on the 3rd of June is Marbo Day, the last day of Reconciliation Week. Uh, my, white, my late wife, Ellen Jose, who died six years ago, was instrumental in creating a small ceremony each Marbo Day to remember that decision on the 3rd of June 1992, which had extraordinary ramifications for the people of this country, both First Nations and the rest of us. And we held a small gathering, which you're all invited to, at midday. That's right, midday, the 3rd of June. That's a Saturday in Federation Square underneath the flags at the corner of Flinders Street and uh, St Kilda Road. You'll see the flags, the Aboriginal flag, the Torres Strait Islander flag, the Australian flag. We have a small ceremony there to, to pay our respects to all those people who are involved in that struggle and for the continuing struggle towards reconciliation. So you don't have to ring anybody, just turn up on the day. It's a short ceremony, a half an hour to an hour. starts at midday sharp. It's a good way of remembering the Marbo Day decision and it's also a good way of remembering um, all those people involved in that decision and it's a good way of remembering the role that my late wife Ellen Jose had in that struggle. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, what is the difference between an essential service and a right? I've been fascinated by the fact that people think they have a right to housing. You don't have a right to housing, and there are tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Australians who will tell you that you have no constitutional right to housing. The beauty of living in the land of milk and honey 
the land that everybody wants to immigrate to, the beauty is you do not have human rights. There is no constitutional protection in terms of access to housing. There is no constitutional protection regarding access to food. There is no constitutional protection regarding access to security. And the list goes on and on. There is no constitutional protection for access to an essential service, as we've seen with the privatisation of publicly created institutions which are created to provide essential services to people who could not afford those services in the private marketplace. The last 40 years of privatisation, globalisation, deregulation and corporatisation have been about rolling back the gains which were made through a hundred-year struggle which involved peaceful struggle, reformist-led struggle, violent revolutionary struggle. That's the history. And we have allowed those gains as a people to be dissipated, to be lost. Because let's be realistic, we have believed the mantra private investment for private profit is the only, only God that we worship in this country. So there's no right to a roof over your head. There's no right to food security. Occasionally legislation is passed to give you some protection in terms of racial abuse or abuse in terms of your sexuality or gender. But it's not a right. That legislation can be rescinded by a hostile parliament, you know, you know, after a campaign to roll back those rights, as we see in the US of A, constantly, in terms of abortion rights, in terms of rights to free speech, and the, li- and the list goes on and on. So... We don't, as I said before, we don't have rights to the essential. So what's the point of having institutions which protect the state, whether it's the police or the armed forces, when those institutions that should provide security to all basically maintain the status quo? They maintain the inequalities that exist in our society. And all those members of the armed forces and the police force, the state police forces and the federal police, that are constantly asked to intervene in struggles for people people who are demanding rights, need to remember that when push comes to shove, that's the individual who is held responsible for their actions. And no institution, as we see over and over again, will ever protect the foot soldier, especially if that foot soldier just goes, you know, takes it one step too far in their uh, ability to contain that particular struggle. 
So we see it constantly. We see this battle constantly. I'll give you an example. Margaret Kelly. You all know Margaret Kelly. Well, you don't know her personally. But Margaret Kelly still lives in the Barrack Beacon Estate, which was a public housing estate in Port Melbourne. When the public housing estate was created 25 years ago, it wasn't really top-notch land, but today it's very, very, very expensive land. Over 250 people lived in 89 public housing units, which are publicly managed. Now, the Victorian state government, in its privatisation agenda, and let's not forget that the Victorian state government is uh, one of the worst governments in this country's history regarding privatisation. All you've got to do today is look up, uh, you know, what's for sale. The Victorian state government is trying to flog off. You'll see parcels of land all over the place being flogged off for, uh, you know, bargain basement prices in order to uh, assist the Victorian state government with its uh, debt obligations. But that's a different matter. So this is a public... So so what we've seen in the last eight years, we've seen a struggle to maintain public housing. Public housing is publicly owned, publicly managed. It is not community housing. It is not social housing. It is not inclusive housing. It is not affordable housing. Irrespective of whether these organisations which provide this housing, are for profit or not for profit. The fact is they're privately owned. And when you go into these housing complexes, you're basically paying rent on a year-to-year basis. Public housing is different. It gives you security of tenure, and as long as you pay your rent so you don't trash the place, you don't get evicted. And more importantly, your rent is fixed at 25% of income. I'm sure a lot of people would love to pay 25% of the income to keep a roof over their heads. So what we've seen is this huge attempt to sell off public land and public housing to the private sector under the guise of the big build, the big housing build, under the guise that they're improving the lives of people, under the guise that people get the right of return. You know, that's the guys. It's a tragedy. Not only is it a tragedy, it's a farce. And a few weeks ago, we pushed the Minister, Mr Honourable Colin Brooks, to the point of having a meeting with Margaret Kelly. Now, if you're going to be evicted from someplace you've been for 25 years by a government that's got an ideological position where it's going to privatise public land, give over, for example, the Barrack Beacon Estate, it's going to give over the title of that public land to a private corporation. That private corporation will be able to will build 350 units on the land. 250 will belong to the private corporation, which it will sell, obviously, for a profit. 100 will be social, not public housing units, and most of them will be much smaller than the two- and three-bedroom family units which exist now. Now, if your life is going to be turned up and down in the you know, the latter part of your life when you believe this is the place you're going to die in, well, obviously, you want a few answers. And because of a bit of push and shove on our behalf, 
public housing, everybody's business, and obviously the Victorian Greens also. Let's give credit where credit lies. The fact is, our little protest a few weeks ago forced the Minister, after a farcical standoff at the Minister's, uh, you know, the building the Minister is in, farcical to, you know, standoff, to offer Margaret Kelly a meeting. But was the meeting going to be about policy? Now, the agenda was where they were going to put her. Not about policy. Not a discussion with Margaret Kelly would actually change government policy, but at least it would highlight that there are different ways of dealing with the housing crisis. You know, you can retain public housing, you can repair public housing, and you can reinvest in public housing, not digging bloody holes all over the place. But that's a different story. We'll talk about that regarding the uh, smoke and mirrors um, Victorian state budget. So, Margaret Kelly was given eviction orders on the, uh, to be leave on the 16th of May. She said, up yours with a rubber hose. I'm not moving. The process will now go through VCAT. And obviously at the end of this process, they'll carry her out, dump her on the uh, footpath. But the fact is, this struggle for public housing is not over. It's been going on for eight years and it will continue despite what eventually happens to Margaret Kelly. So on the 1st of June, that's next Thursday, not far away, midday on the 1st of June, we encourage all those people who came to the successful public housing rally a few weeks ago to join us once again and bring some friends. If you haven't got any friends, well, make some. To join us at midday on the 1st of June, Margaret Kelly will be speaking about the progress of her negotiations. I'll be speaking about the need for public housing and we'll both be speaking about the retain, repair, reinvest philosophy which should the state government should be following, not the current privatisation policy. So join us. Put the day in your diary. First day of winter, the winter of our discontent. My apologies to Willie Shakespeare. Midday, 1st of June, the steps of the Victorian Parliament House. Whether we wander down to 50 Lonsdale Street to the Minister's office or not, we'll debate on the day. So join us for the rally. Keep a few hours in our side. Uh, because this issue has not gone away. It won't go away. And the state government's budgetary uh, policies have actually made the matter worse. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You can leave, you can leave polite messages on 0439 395 489. You can email us at anarchistage at yahoo.com or info at pibsy.net. You can join public interests before corporate interests online, if you wish, by going to pibsy.net. Have a look at the website. Have a look at the application form. Join us today. What's the point of allowing the 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication to, you know, 
tell the parliamentary monkeys what to do. They're the organ grinders. Parliament, as we've seen with the recent budget, they're the parliamentary monkeys. Let's talk about the Victorian budget, the smoke and mirrors budget. Now, everybody's talking about what a radical budget. We, we, the Victorian government, we are battling for the working person. Hard-working Victorians. We all work bloody hard, you bastards. That's a different matter. Hard-working Victorians. And we've got a debt of $116 billion. In a few years, it'll be $171 billion. Now, only one-third of that debt is due to COVID-19. That's $31.6 billion. So what's the brilliant, brilliant people of Victorian state government and their advisers in the bureaucracy which has doubled over the last nine years. One of these brilliant people come up with, well, we're going to tax the rich. And I think, oh, that's nice. And how are we going to do that? Well, obviously, we're going to increase payroll tax for companies that have a turnover of more than $10 million per year. I said, tick. And we're going to introduce a special COVID-19 land tax levy. That sounds nice. Yeah, it sounds reasonable, doesn't it? If you don't own anything and somebody owns more than one property, it sounds a reasonable proposition. It's always been a, you know, part of the uh, Victorian state government uh, policies since the 1880s when they tried to break the uh, stranglehold the squatters had on land in the state of Victoria. All sounds very nice. There's no legislation accompanying the legislation to increase land tax on residential properties and commercial properties, which stops the people who own that property, who rent that property, from passing on that extra cost to the people renting, whether it's small business or whether it's residential property. At the same time, now I could be wrong here and I'm happy to be corrected, at the same time it's my understanding that if you pay land tax and you rent out a building that you can claim that land tax as a deduction, as a tax deduction, but I'm not sure about that. Obviously there'll be people who will know that. So... What's the point of increasing land tax to resolve a COVID-19 budgetary hole when there isn't accompanying legislation to prevent people who owned more than one property from actually passing on that cost to people who rent that property, whether it's small business or whether it's residential property. I mean, these people aren't stupid. They know that this is going to be passed on. But if you dress it up into this, you know, quasi-radical grab from the rich to assist the poor, it looks very good. But it's not really. If they really had any, how shall I put it, any guts, there would be accompanying legislation to protect renters. And the fact is, as I said before, if you've got a residential marketplace and a commercial marketplace which is dominated by the private sector, 
rents will exponentially increase. They will continue doing it because there's no competition. It's a little bit like going to one of the big four banks and saying, hello, I want to borrow some money. Ooh, that's nice. Well, we'll give it to you for 12.9%. And other groups, this is a commercial loan. Oh, we'll give it to you for 12.65 or even 12.1. Then I go back to another bank. Oh, how about 11.95? The reality is there's very little difference. There's no competition. There's no competition in a private sector where there isn't a strong public sector element to that uh, private sector that it can actually create real competition, as we saw with the uh, privatisation of the Commonwealth Bank. Think about it. Smoke and mirrors. A lot of garbage. All the right words. But ultimately, ultimately, it's the renter, whether it's small business, residential, who's going to pay that price because there is nothing in legislation which prevents that increase being passed on to the consumer. And it's the same with payroll tax. Same thing. Nothing in legislation. Let's move on. Listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, share market. It's interesting. Look, look, me included, you know, I'm just an idiot. I assume like most of the people listening to this program, well, we're, you know, we're branded as idiots. We don't know what we're talking about. You know, we know nothing about financing. We know nothing about, you know, the way the world works. It's very simple. The way the world works is exceptionally simple. You don't need a PhD in nuclear physics. You don't need that. It's very simple. We live in a private investment for private profit marketplace. For example, I love the share market. I, I now I'd like to point this out. I do not have one dollar invested in the share market. I do not have one dollar of superannuation in the share and stock market. Okay, unlike most of you, who don't take much notice of. Uh, what's happening to your superannuation and you find that uh, you're investing in all these large corporations you kind of rail against. So have a look at your, your, have a look at your superannuation portfolio and maybe you need to make some changes because 50 cents in every dollar which will be invested in the stock market today, the Australian stock market today, will come from superannuation funds. You like that? 50%. So let's get back to the share market. Simple concept. You've got all these companies that are publicly listed. I'm not talking about those that are totally privately owned, but companies that are publicly listed who rely on getting money from investors to keep their business going, to expand their business. So what happens in a private investment for private profit world? Well, it's simple. If your company does something that is nice and good, like maybe increasing your employees' wages, 
give them extra holiday pay, uh, ensuring they're safe at work, and it costs a bit of money, and your profits fall, what happens? Within a few minutes, not hours, not days, not weeks, not months, money flows out of that company into another company that is quite happy to exploit its workers and gouge its customers. Because there's only three people involved in a private investment for private profit relationship. There's the shareholder who wants money, 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 money for whatever reason, right? There's the worker who creates that profit and there's the customer who buys that product and service. They're the only three people involved. So how do you make an increased profit so you can actually attract more investment into your company? You screw your customers, you exploit your workers. The return to your shareholder increases and everybody's happy because you think, wow, I've got my superannuation. I've got a half a million dollars. I've got a million dollars. I'm going to have the best retirement money can buy after being a wage slave for 52 years. Hmm? Well, the fact is, it's very simple. Changes to legislation which have privatised aged care, which are, which are forcing people into the private health care sector, these changes in legislation have basically removed the security you expect in old age because you're at the whim of the market and the market is based on creating profits and if your profits fall, well then shareholders will desert you and move to another company whose profits, you know, may be rising, irrespective irrespective of, you know, the tactics they use. And I know people like to talk about things like, you know, ethical investment and green capitalism. But the fact is private investment for private profit, whether whether it's so-called ethical, whether it's green, is based on creating profits. You don't create the profits, you don't get the investors, you don't get the investors... You sink without a trace. That's how it works. So are we saying that this is the only way? Obviously, we're told every minute of every day this is the only way. This is the only way that works. And what do we see? Increasing gap between the rich and poor, increasing centralisation of power, sticky fingers, you know, when you've got You've got a trickle-down effect, not a trickle-down effect as profits increase. The creation of billionaires, not millionaires anymore, but billionaires. The fact that our natural resources are now controlled totally by private companies that got licences to do this, and the list goes on and on. So, think about it. Think about the type of society you're living in and tear up that membership of the Gunner tribe and somebody should do something about that tribe. Now, I was listening to Parliament, accidentally, don't blame me, I was flicking around, I was looking for the news channel and 
it shares a wave band. That's the ABC News Channel. I think it's 1026 with the Australian Parliament. And I heard this wonderful, 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 wonderful speech by this non-entity, some parliamentary representative, talking about the Albanese Labor government. The Albanese Labor government. It is not Mr Albanese's government. He's elected in a particular electorate and it's the parliamentary majority that elects him as Prime Minister. It is the Australian Labor government. And I'm sick and tired of listening to this crap about the Morrison government, the Turnbull government, you know, the Albanese government, the Rudd government, the Gillard government. It's not their bloody government. It's the Australian government. Get it right. And the terribly disappointing thing about Duchess Albanese is the fact that he's forgotten where he comes from. To me, the greatest crime in life is as you move up the ladder, the social ladder, that you forget where you come from. Mr Albanese has forgotten. He's a product of the public housing sector. His upbringing by a single mother is a product of the social security system. And the fact is that this is all they can do currently is quite disappointing because he has committed the greatest crime anybody who crawls up the corporate ladder or the social elevator can commit, and that is to forget where you come from. Now, last but not least, look, I'm very disappointed, very disappointed, and what I'm really disappointed in is the type of comedy we have in this country. I mean, Melbourne's supposed to be the comedy capital, and occasionally I watch a bit of comedy and all I can do is fall asleep. But what, what I really find, you know, what I really find disgusting is the audience. They're a little bit like um, those dolls, not dolls, those laughing clowns you see in the sideshow in the old days and you put a little pinball and the head goes, ha, 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 and then back to the straight, waiting for the next joke, ha, 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 ha. It's pathetic. And the content, the content is pathetic. So, I thought to myself, as I have torn up my Gunner Tribe membership card and somebody should do something about that card, I'm going to try my hand at comedy. Because everyday life is full of comedy. You know, the world's greatest country, homelessness. That's, that's funny. It really is. A lot of funny stuff. So I'm going to do a 2023 homage to Australian capitalism. Freestyle interactive comedy spectacular possibly the last show the first and last show i will ever conduct but let's give it a go that's one thing i believe in is giving it a go so i encourage you to join me for this comedy spectacular wednesday the 31st of may 6 30 p.m for a 7 p.m start three entry exit by donation mm, you'll find out why you know, Footscray Hotel, 
48 Hopkins Street, Footscray. Put it in your diary. Come down. Have a laugh at my expense. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. This program has been streaming on 3cr.org.au. It's heard across the country via the community radio network and is also heard at 4ZZZ in Brisbane. Listening to The Anarchist World this week, next week, tear up your membership card of the Gunner Tribe and the somebody should do something about that tribe. Destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds Ready to add your support during our annual Radiothon. Stay tuned, stay radical. 3CR Radiothon Fundraiser, June 2023. To donate, call the station 0394198377 or donate online 3cr.org.au. 3CR Radiothon 2023. Stay tuned, stay radical. Did you enjoy listening to that podcast? 3CR is a community radio station, and you, the listener, are a part of that community. Right now, it's our Radiothon. We need you to pitch in with a few dollars to keep the station going. We can't do it without you. It's easy. Head to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. Your donations really matter.